this being uh, kind of the residual Christmas period, I thought we might talk a little bit about the spirit of giving. Um, this is a bit of a sensitive subject. Um, my experience in, in knowing uh, a lot of Christians uh, through my life is that we tend to adopt the interpretation or view of the person who first taught us about a particular subject or maybe a, a gifted or respected teacher. And we kind of tend to hang on to that view. Uh, and this subject is no exception. Um, there are a divergent number of views uh, about giving. Uh, we also don't think about it much because it's not something, something that's taught very often in, in churches for a variety of reasons, I believe. Uh, and of course, in any body, there's a whole spectrum of people who are, you know, company employed or self-employed or unemployed. And so it's a little bit difficult to talk about it um, um, in, in, in most contexts. And, and I don't pretend to be an authority on this subject. I'm simply trying to take what I've picked up from my own uh, study and, and, uh, and understanding of the scriptures um, and pass on what I believe scripture to say about uh, the subject of giving. But I want to urge each of you to search the scriptures and seek God's face about this particular subject um, and what God would have you do with this matter. Um, this, is, this subject is deep and rich. We can only hope to scratch the surface here. Uh, in fact, it's so broad that, uh, as you might expect, I'm not going to be able to cover it in one session. And, and next time, Lord willing, we'll deal with some of the nuts and bolts of, of giving um, but for now, uh, let's consider an approach or attitude toward giving in general. And we're going to start here in the, the passage mentioned there on the sheet with, uh, in 2 Corinthians, starting in, in uh, chapter 8. <clears throat> and then we're going to stop halfway through and shift to chapter 9. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, the King James there uses the word fellowship, in support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that, he, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. 
I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to, to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now let's shift over to chapter 9, starting in verse 6 in 2 Corinthians. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Please join me in prayer, Lord. Lord, we give praise and honor to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would open up your scriptures and your heart as to this particular subject, which affects us all. Lord, help us to develop a right attitude toward giving and receiving. And Lord, we pray that you would just um, make your ways clear to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk first about the privilege of giving. Um, of course, we all consider receiving gifts or money to be a blessing, and there's nothing wrong with that approach or that view. Uh, but do we really view giving up of our possessions and our money as a blessing? I suspect that many Christians, if they give, View it as an obligation rather than a blessing. But learning to see every need as an opportunity rather um, than a burden 
is an exciting experience. Even though we can't meet every need that we become aware of. Now, giving in this manner does require some discipline because it runs contrary to our selfish natures. Uh, it doesn't take long for this experience of giving to stimulate within our hearts the generosity that comes from Christ's image that's within us. When this happens, giving becomes a privilege. There in chapter 8, we saw that apparently the churches of Macedonia were so impoverished that Paul didn't even ask them to assist with the collection for the struggling church in Jerusalem. But nonetheless, the Macedonians heard about the need on, and on their own initiative begged to experience the privilege of giving. Now those churches so much desired the blessing of giving that out of their poverty, they demonstrated true love to their fellow saints in Jerusalem. The church at Philippi distinguished themselves in a like manner. In, in Philippians 4, it says that, Paul says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now that I seek a gift, not that I seek a gift itself, but I seek for the profit. King James there uses the word fruit, which increases to your account. But I have everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. So the Philippians, through their generous giving, received profit or fruit increasing to their account, which I suspect would be eternal blessings. They also received the promise that God would supply all their wants, no, needs, through his riches. Now I want to mention here uh, what I call the law of sowing and reaping. In other words, you reap what you sow. Now, this is not a law like you will not steal, but rather a law of common understanding and application. Now, parents, whether it's academics or sports or music or their spiritual walk, when we see our children failing, uh, it is so obvious to us that we cannot help but say, you know, you get out what you put in. Has any parent ever used that law? Has any parent here ever not used that law? Okay. Um, we've even applied it in our home to marriage. Uh, we've told our children, you will tend to get in a life partner what you are in life. Um, meaning, you better set limits and use your time wisely because you'll either be blessed or cursed for the rest of your life in your choice of a life partner. Now, while this law may not be quite as universal as, let's say, the law of gravity. In the temporal, I suspect it is absolute and universal in eternity. Paul seems to so say in Galatians 6, where he says, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to please the Spirit, 
you shall of the Spirit reap a harvest that is everlasting. Now, back in 2 Corinthians 9, it's the context of giving of possessions or money. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So it's kind of hard to avoid the direct correlation between the extent of our individual and corporate giving and the blessing that we'll receive either in this life or eternity. Now, please understand, this is not a gimmick. It's not prosperity gospel or health and wealth gospel like uh, Bob talked about earlier today. It's also not a gimmick like I've sometimes received in the mail from someplace in Oklahoma with a holy handkerchief that if held tightly in prayer will result in me receiving a hundredfold of whatever I contribute to the handkerchief sender. Um, I have to admit to you, I have been tempted from time to time to respond by suggesting that they pray and send me a modest sum so that they might receive a hundredfold blessing. (laughs) But all that aside, the law of sowing and reaping is as biblically sound and logical as any advice you'll ever receive. And of course you've heard the old saw, it is more blessed to give than to receive. At an oral tradition mentioned by mentioned in Acts that was ascribed to, to Jesus. And we know that intuitively. But while we're here, let's just take a brief stop and talk about receiving. The scripture does not say it is wrong to receive. Now, it may be awkward. It may be embarrassing, but I suggest to you that most of us could learn to be better receivers, if for no other reason than to bless the giver. But pride often causes us to deny the acceptability of the gift. At least it does for me. And Christy and I received many unexpected gifts, and sometimes my thought, if not my response, has been, I should be helping this person. Or, do they just feel sorry for me because I haven't figured out where all these kids come from? (laughs) But clearly, that response is out of pride rather than thankfulness. When we say, "I, I just can't accept this, then we create a rather difficult standoff that can diminish, if not ruin, the joy of the giver. If we would simply think about how much we appreciate a grateful spirit in those to whom we give, we'll then know how to respond when somebody gives to us. In other words, be a joyful and thankful giver and receiver. But to balance out this receiving thing, we should also be cautious that we not develop what some have called a manna complex. Uh, This occurs when Christians bend too much over to the side of God will provide for my needs or I'm living by faith and they sit idly by and forget those permanent gifts that God gives us 
to be productive members of the body and the community. Productivity is not a lack of faith. In fact, Scripture rather consistently promotes it. Before uh, the more blessed to re- it's more blessed to receive, uh, more blessed to give than to receive phrase um, ascribed to Jesus, Acts 20 says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I show you, showed you that it is by hard work in this manner you must help the weak. Of course, the ultimate example of blessing is God himself, who gave everything, who gave everything that we have to us, including his own son. God so loved that he gave his son for us and as an example. Well, let's turn over to this, the topic of the community of giving. I heard something uh, during the ice storms recently about trees that provided an insight, at least to me. Individual trees in your yard do not fare as well at, as most trees which grow up in forests rather than alone. Together, the forest of trees provides protection and support for one another from the ice and the wind and, the, and other adversities. Now think about that analogy with regard to the body. Philippians 2, I won't read the whole thing here, but, but uh, going from verses 1 through 7, it emphasizes to not look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. Um, Back in 2 Corinthians 8, as I mentioned earlier, it says that giving is a form of fellowship. And then it says in uh, verses 13 and 14, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. In other words, giving creates a healthy interdependence within the body. In Luke, we're told to give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Kind of harping back to that sowing and reaping thing. Now, has anybody here ever given anything, anybody here ever given anything, received anything from someone else when you had a need? Yeah, I suspect most, if not all of us. When that occurred, did you feel any more drawn to those within the body that met your need? Whether it was the birth of a child, a medical uh, problem, or death of a loved one, or some other financial need. Do you feel you have more purpose when you yourselves give to others? Oftentimes when 
our family has had extraordinary medical expenses. Um, we've had faithful friends who have given generously to us. One time, Chrissy just happened to mention to a uh, close friend um, that we were praying about you know, some extra money so that we could take just a little vacation. And shortly thereafter, we received in the mail a check for several hundred dollars. Um, we just sat down and cried. Now, whether it's money or emotional support or something else that you need, when such friends need us, we're committed to be there. Not because we owe them one, but rather because their commitment to us has been demonstrated. Now, many saints have helped us in, in many ways, both big and small. And when they have, it always has that tendency to draw us together. Now, I want to bring up something a little bit more radical that we see in the scriptures. Uh, if you turn to Acts 4, and read along here, just a few verses, and starting in verse 32. And the, excuse me, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, I've often thought, using some sort of twisted logic, that the government is the biggest church, or at least charity, in the world, particularly the U.S. government. Certainly they have more devoted servants, and they've helped more people than any other, helped more people than any other organization, um, and, it's, and it certainly receives the most in contributions. In fact, Uncle Sam's tithe is much more than 10%. Um, but the difference, of course, is that those contributions are rather involuntary, as we, of course, are reminded come the Ides of April. Uh, now, the church here in, in Acts 4 was not sharing out of subjection to some sort of forced communism among Christians. It kind of reminds me of Archie Bucker. Anybody old enough here to remember Archie? Archie was having a conversation with Meathead, his son-in-law, uh, who lived with you know, his daughter there in their home, and he was talking about um, maybe going to a commune. And Archie's response was, people who live in communes are communists. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how we jump to those kind of conclusions. Um, and, and one might think the same thing here. Um, however, the principle of private ownership uh, is affirmed in this passage 
uh, in just right, right after that, after, you, after the verses that I read in, in chapter 5, when we had the account of Ananias and Sapphira, who sold some property and pretended to lay all the proceeds out before the apostles and then ran into some problems because they did not. Uh, in other words, they deceived. And Peter's response is, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? In other words, we're not doing away with private property here. We're talking about a rather special circumstance. Now, uh, some commentators believe this remarkable event took place because the early church believed that Jesus was going to return within their generation and, you know, they really didn't need their things. Um, and some commentators uh, question not the motive but the wisdom of disposing of capital like that which could no longer be productive like your land and some other possessions um, uh, under those circumstances. And in fact we see from this church in Jerusalem how it was some time later that they needed the help of even the poor folks in Macedonia. Uh, we're not sure exactly why, but it, there could be a connection there. But nobody disputes the spirit of generosity within the community of that church. Born voluntarily out of complete love and commitment for one another and faith. Maturity, as it says there, I think, at the bottom of your sheet, maturity in giving occurs as we move from an emphasis on the individual as a giver to spontaneous sharing in our community. Um, I appreciate so much uh, the spirit of giving here. Uh, you know, you, we've probably all been in churches... Um, where, you know, the plate is passed. There's nothing wrong with that. But I appreciate the fact that um, it, there's just a box over there. And so nobody has put in a position where they're expected. It's really between you and God. Now, there's so much more that could be said about this subject. Um, and in, as in any group, there will be some who have very little to give, especially among the young here. Um, and those who are more well-off have other issues to deal with in terms of giving. But please don't allow those stumbling blocks to rob you of the blessing and the privilege and community of giving even if your gift is small. As a final exhortation for today, I would simply ask if you, for any reason, um, have not given regularly, and you do have income, whether regular or occasional, may I suggest that you consider whether God would want you to start giving something to him so that you might experience these blessings and the community of the body. Let's pray.
Father, we just want you to be honored and glorified. We praise you, Lord, and we understand that you have given us everything. Um, we would have nothing but for you. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in each and every one of our hearts. That you would help us, uh, just at this point, to understand how we should view giving. What examples do Scripture provide? How does that relate to us? And each one in their own heart, determined from their own study, what you would have us do. Father, we thank you for the generosity of the saints in our midst. Lord, help us all to be more cheerful givers and receivers so that we might not also further your work but grow closer in our bond of fellowship. We give all these praises and glory to you. In the precious and holy name of Christ, amen.